So I have the great privilege of saying these words in Matthew 4.19, the Word of God says. Because I believe that God within this room has opened our hearts and has compelled us before His throne to see Him for who He is. And now we are postured before Him to ask Him, Jesus, what do You have for us? What needs to change for us? What needs to continue for us? And we are Your people, so... Who are we in in your presence? Who are we for the sake of your name? I wanted to read some words. If you have turned to Scripture, we're going to just kind of extrapolate some truths from Matthew 4.19. But in our small groups this morning, I felt like if you didn't happen to venture into a small group, you should know where we're praying. We finished the study of Nehemiah as he built the wall, and I just wanted to read our thoughts as we studied Ezra and his call for the people of God to gather around and to begin to allow the Word of God to be the work of God. And they just began to say, as the people would cry out, and I know that in this room there's kind of some mixture of history and mixture of expression for those of us of how we've met with God. And I I have a tendency to run back to the Word as opposed to traditions of men as far as worship goes. And I, I see in worship as Nehemiah and more importantly Ezra began to read the Word of God that there was this call of God on the people really in two manner. One was they stood and lifted their hands and cried out, All praise and glory and honor to you God. All dominion for you are a great God. And there was this this uplifted hands, and there was, as I wrote this week a little bit about this, they were a little bit rowdy in the presence of God. But then there was also, as he read the book of the law over them, an equal equal response of falling on their knees in brokenness and repentance because when the Word of God is the work of God, we are not asking God to adapt to who we are or what we um, enjoy or what has been our tradition or our experience. When we hear the Word of God and our lives do not match up, we are broken and on our faces in repentance. And there was this revival that was sweeping among the people as Ezra read the book of the law. And when that is the revival of repentance and worship, repentance and worship, and when this is the rhythm of our lives, we will make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what our groups talked about this morning. Revival is experienced when God's people focus on hearing from Him through the reading of His Word and when His Word is the central part of our story. We do want to come and sing of Him and have our hearts flourish toward Him. But Lord, we want to experience revival. Revival is never experienced in isolation. It is experienced in context of community throughout Scripture. There are revival of our souls, but it's typically so that you come back with your soul intact saying, I have stood before God and let me tell you now of the rhythm of His grace. Revival happens when God's people repent and when God's people hold one another accountable. It's for these reasons that we adhere to the writer of Hebrews when he says, let us come together and stir up one another to love and good deeds and great works for the sake of the kingdom, not neglecting this gathering as is the habit of some, but we encourage one another. And all the more as the day is coming, we encourage. That was an amen right there. Yes. I mean, they, when they, this is biblical too. When, whenever he read it and they agreed with it, they said, amen, amen. You know, they were kind of excited about it. And so... 
Um, I, I just love this, God. We are going to come together. And so we're coming together believing this, that, that Jesus is building His church. That as He builds His church, it is a place of miracles. And we're asking this question, so then how can we in the church best unleash the people of God in the Spirit of God with the work of God, for the glory of God. All of these could be popping up on the screen behind me at any point. So we're asking this question. How can we in the church best unleash the people of God and the Spirit of God with the Word of God for the glory of God? And when Jesus came along and asking disciples, I want you to follow me. I believe in Matthew 4.19, He gave at least some truths for us to latch on to today. And, and He came to some brothers, Peter and Andrew. They're casting nets and they're going about life. And in chapter 4, verse 19 of the book of Matthew, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And there's three things that I see in this and I unpacked the first truth last week. Follow me and a disciple knows and follows after Jesus. And I love the second reality. And I will make you. In other words, a disciple is being changed or transformed into the image of Jesus. Fishers of men. A disciple is on mission for the sake of the glory of God. We do not believe we are haphazard as we make our way through this earth. We are an intentional people. And so I just want to begin again highlighting where we were last week and then moving forward He says these words, follow me. A disciple knows and follows Jesus. As we read last week in Isaiah 62 verses 6 and 7, it just said this, Jerusalem or Mandarin, if you will, I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They're not going to be silent. Day and night, they are going to cry out before God and there's no rest for you who remind the Lord. And I love this fragment of this section. It says, do not give our Lord rest. Until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Why? Because Jerusalem is the habitat for the living God. As are we as followers of his. And so we're coming along and saying, God, we will not give you rest. We want to be a part of a people who follow God so closely that in our prayer and in our passion, we are seeking after him. I mean, do we not as a body of believers, as people who are disciples who say, Lord... We follow you. Are we not a people who therefore call out to him day and night as watchmen on the wall? We refuse to allow God to rest, if you will. I find that quite interesting because he has no rest. But we're just kind of coming along and acknowledging we are going, if you will, as the widow cried out before the judge, holy God, we are going to bother you. We are going to come after you until we see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. The disciple doesn't give God rest. And we are asking God in his power through his church to make his name known to the nations. And it begins by following him, by being passionate for his presence. I read this and this could come up on the screen. Every major breakthrough in the church as I read the book of Acts comes directly from a people of prayer. Every major moment, I'm now rereading that again and walking chapter by chapter through the book of Acts and I have yet to find an encounter, a church growth moment, a, a, a reality, a miracle 
although I consider that the church Jesus is building is to be a miracle and is a miracle, I have yet to find one where it is not steeped in prayer. Where people are not saying, Jesus, we follow you and this is not a mystery. We don't give you rest. And I am praying that God will do the very same within us. That we will be a church that is praying and is seeing the works of God and we're declaring his glory because we are restless because he is resting and we can't allow that. There's much grace. Luke says this of the early church as he describes their prayer and as a result of their prayer, there was so much grace of the presence of God among them all. Can we pray that as a church? Can we pray that, that that there would be this walking into our gatherings as we gather corporately and people would say, there is grace upon them all. There is a power of God among them all. Do we not want to see the power of God rain down in inexplicable ways? Perhaps only explained by God among us. So, if there was any yes in you on that moment, then let us draw near to God. And He will draw near to us. Let us follow Jesus. And we will discover the ways of His truth. As a people who are our prayers, I read this, I just jotted this note. When we read the story of the early church in the book of Acts, we see a people for whom prayer was fundamental, not supplemental. That is a huge statement. And every time I have read it and prayed it and thought it for the last two weeks, I have just said, God, let that resonate with us. As they look and you look throughout the book of the beginning of the church, the book of Acts, you don't see a people who supplemented their lives in prayer. You see it as a fundamental reality for them. It just permeated who they were because they were saying, God, this is your glory. It is your presence. It's your church. And it's a place of miracles. Build your church and we will fundamentally pursue you. And then he says these words. I covered all this last week. And he says, follow me and I will make you. So a disciple is a person who is being changed into the image of Jesus. To me, that's super exciting. He invited these two fishermen in this, in this passage of Scripture to come to him as followers. But he also said, I'm accepting you and meeting you where you are and how you are. But we won't stay there. I'm going to turn your mind. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to replace your priorities with the priority of who I am. There's going to be a complete transformation. So Andrew Peter, here's what I'm asking of you. Come follow me, but I want you to understand, I am going to make something within you. And that's powerful because I think that some of us felt like to follow Jesus was to be a little part of his package, his deal. And it's really not the truth. Jesus is saying there will be a radical turnover of who you are from the very core of your soul. I will work out your salvation from the inner side out. And it will be with fear and with trembling that the presence and spirit of God will work this out. You will renew your mind. You will become fully transformed. You will take on the image of Jesus Christ. 
You will be as He is. You will walk in the fullness of His presence. And then you will walk this earth, if you want to fulfill the last admonition of this call, you will walk this earth with clarity of purpose, being about the will of God. You don't cheat to part three. You make your way there by valuing the presence of God, by hungering for the desire of God, by longing for the word of God, and by pleading with Jesus to transform you, transform you into the image of Christ. So we're just coming to him and saying, I I mean, I don't know where you've come today. I just pause and say, have you come to Christ on your terms? Or have you come to Christ saying, I give you privilege to completely upend my life if it is not ended for your glory? We ask that again. I don't know if that was even a good way of asking it, but it feels right in my spirit. Is to just say, God, did I come to you on my terms? Or better said, God, in the past, Am I in this moment sitting in the presence of who you are on my terms? Or have I said to you, wreck my life for your glory. Transform me into the image of Jesus. Turn my mind to have the mind of Christ, which the scripture promises of us and for us. Turn my heart and my hands to move for the sake of your kingdom. Jesus, I can't do that, but you are welcome here. Brother Lawrence had a beautiful statement that I absolutely love. He says a disciple is transformed in the image. And he says these words, spiritual growth in a sense is this, an increasing of our capacity to experience the presence of God. Not a a wildly out there statement, just an increasing desire to experience the presence of God. And that would move it away from the three things Baptists do to be okay before God. You know, I don't do these three things and God likes me now. No, no, no. What he longs for is your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He longs for you to long for him and he longs to completely transform you. Not into some exterior posture that pleases some people around you, but an interior makeover that pleases God. And that's much more beautiful and powerful and requires a higher level of intimacy than most of us are currently pursuing. So spiritual growth, in a sense, is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of the living God. Jesus modeled this for us. He lived in the constant presence of God. The the verse just baffles me when he says, I can do nothing by myself I can only do what I see the Father doing. So what the Father does, the Son does also. If that's the model of Jesus, should that not be ours as well? Jesus is the incarnation of the living God. He is the one who put on flesh. And yet he comes and saying, God and I have this, have this extraordinary relationship with one another. And when I see him move, I move. And what I see him about, I am in. And that requires a practice of the presence of the living God. It requires us to be a people who are steeped in the word, who are in passion for God, who are ripe in prayer. That's who we are. Jesus consistently asked people to make a decision about their relationship with him. And here was his fundamental decision that he asked, come be with me. He didn't say, will you ask me into your heart? I'm not knocking that. I, believe, I fully believe in this reality, presenting the gospel and allowing people to confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that they are rescued into the kingdom of Christ. But then we are walking with and through and for and in Him. 
Come follow me. And in following me, I'm going to make something within you that you can't explain. It is this beautiful picture. First century Jews had a beautiful blessing that expresses the commitment of a disciple. I've shared this here before. I'll share it again. It's a Jewish blessing. May you always be covered in the dust of the rabbi. That's a good way for me to think about that. And what they were saying is this. Jesus gave these words when he said, you know what? I want you to follow so closely that the dust of the feet of the rabbi cake your clothing and line your face. That's a good picture for me. And so you want to ask, am I following Jesus? Can you just say that you're experiencing the dust of his presence? That it cakes who you are. It covers your face. That when people smile, they're not sure if they're seeing your face or Jesus. Because you are covered in the dust of the rabbi, Jesus Christ. So a follower of Jesus... A disciple of his believes that we need him and we must be in intimacy with him. Every moment of our lives is is this ask, what is my teacher about? What is his heart? Can I get to know him? I live so richly and robustly in the presence of God that I am a dusty disciple. Could you say that of yourself? If not, what are you willing to do about that? Because as we read scripture, the scripture just says that many were broken and repentant when they realized that there wasn't a a sketch of dust anywhere near their body. And they just began to walk back to Jesus saying, I am far from you, but no more. Could that be what is happening for you in this room right now? It should be for some of us. But will it be is the question of today. And whether we sang a lot of songs and we're going to go eat chicken or whether we're going to experience revival and the reality of the presence of the living God. Paul tells us this, Romans 8, 29. So you can understand your purpose. Those that the Lord foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are in this room and you were saying that you have relationship with Jesus Christ, then I can tell you that his foreknowledge and his predestined plan is that you begin to conform to the image of him him through his son. That those he foreknew, he has a purpose for you, and that is that you are covered in the dust of the rabbi. That people look at you and think, wow, we are seeing Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what we're experiencing. Jesus gave his disciples these shaping forces of his life. He said, look, I am giving you not only myself, but I am giving you the Holy Spirit. He is the great internal change agent. He is yours and I am giving you to him so that you can produce the likeness of Christ in us. This heart change, this becoming like Christ is supernatural. It's a miracle. That's why the church is being built by God. And that's why he's sitting in this room and saying, God, in your foreknowledge, you have got something. You have a destiny. You have predestined this for me that I would take on the character and the quality of the the Son of God. Through the internal changing of the Spirit of God. Through a reconciling of my heart through the Son of God and His work of the cross. Oh God, you have provided the way for me. And it's a miracle, Lord. And I want to walk in the midst of this miracle. According to Paul in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it is a renewing of the mind that produces the attributes of Jesus in us. 
And we begin to wrestle with this. So you want, you want to really wrestle with this reality? Am I covered in the dust of the rabbi? I'm just kind of bringing the plane to a landing right now and saying, okay, let's wrestle with this. Jesus is loving. Jesus is kind. He is filled with joy. Jesus is patient. Jesus is peaceful. Jesus is good. Jesus is filled with compassion. And in fact, when he crests hills and there is a lack of compassion, it's not that he can't solve the issue. He will. He just weeps for the brokenness of mankind because he is compassion. He's going to repair and yet it breaks his heart. So he's, he's loving and joyful and peaceful, and patient, and kind, and good. And he is filled with compassion. That's who our Jesus is. And so we begin to then ask this question, if that's who you are, and you have foreknown and predestined me to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, I wonder then this, as I stand before you, Lord, with my heart and my mind open, and with my desires for you wide open, am I kind? Am I filled with the love of God in Christ Jesus? So as I encounter people walking this earth, they're confused. Because I am completely caked in the dust of my Savior. Am I joyful? I mean, when people encounter me and they see the joy of the Lord as my strength. When I walk through the church, and when this ends, there should be such robust joy among the body of believers. Why? Not because we're going to fake it for the preacher or try to impress Jesus, because we are caked in the dust of the rabbi, and he's full of joy. Am I peaceful when everything in this world cries out for not peace? Can I walk? Can I, am I peaceful when I kneel down in a garden and there is sweat from my, ba- bra- my brow and the capillaries of my veins burst? Am I peaceful in the midst of that? Do what you need to do, Peter, because the peace of God has rule and reign in my heart and I trust his sovereign hand. Are we peaceful? regardless of the encounters and hardships of this world. Why and how? Because we're covered in the dust of the one who showed us how to have peace when there was none on this earth. Patient. Good. Spiritual growth, in a sense, is this. It is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God. And if I can add to his quote, in Christ Jesus. 
spiritual growth. A disciple. He's being changed in the very image and likeness of Jesus. May you always be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Why? Because quotes are good. This is powerful. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah. Let's pray together.